Hey, you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. I'm super excited. Um, can I just share a little bit more about what we've been talking about this morning? Um, Gio, Gio gave me a word. He said, I feel like we're going to need to hammer something. Um, I, 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 I don't know if everybody who goes to church is a Christian. Can I just be honest with you? I don't know if walking in these doors makes causes you to be, to be redeemed and your name be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm not sure that's the case. I do know that Jesus says that he would cause the wheat and tares to grow together and that one day the sheep and the goats would be separated. And so I do know that there are some people who insert themselves into the body of Christ and actually never, even though the Lord is calling them, they never lay down pride in their own like self-want to become a part of his family. But I also know this. I do know there are children. There's sons and daughters who are in here who are across the whole world who are redeemed, but they are like just their eyes are shifted. And if I can turn you to Matthew um, 622, I just want to show you something really quick. He says this. Um, Therefore, the lamp of the body is the eye, and therefore, if the eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore that light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is he saying? He's saying what you perceive, what you look at, what you take in will literally fill up the inside of you. You hearing me? What you take in, the eyes are the lamp. They are the ways you perceive the world. And so sometimes when I see people and like they're so downtrodden, they're so fearful, they're so whatever, I wonder if it's because we are taking in more of the world than we are of his word. Because I can just tell you for me, when I partake of him more than of them, like I am so much happier. I am so much more full of hope. I am, my perspective is so heavenly. And like, I just, even though the same bad thing may happen to me in my family, like my perspective is different because I'm living from the kingdom rather than from constitution. Like I just, I live different. And so maybe this week, I'm just such a huge proponent of like Facebook going away. (laughs) Like maybe log off Facebook, maybe Stop watching the news. Maybe stop watching that nasty Netflix show that you justify you can watch. Like, maybe spend time with the Lord a little bit. You're like, that's legalism. Man, you're in a fight. Do whatever you can to survive. You want to call it legalism, you can. But I'm going to call it living in the kingdom. I'm going to call it drawing close to Jesus. I love people who call it legalism. But if I intentionally refrain myself from cheating on my wife, they call that goodness. If I draw in and I say, I'm going to schedule time with my wife, no one says, hey, if you really loved her, you would just do it automatically. They call it discipline. Sometimes discipline has been given a bad name in the church, but we actually need to go back to a little bit of it. Holiness was never bad. Holiness used in the eyes of people who couldn't see straight was wrong. But holiness just means you've become in face-to-face contact with the Holy One, and you desire what He desires. David says, I find myself in the shelter of your wing. What does that mean? He's become so close to his heart that the Bible says, your heart breaks for what his heart breaks for. His desires become yours. Whatever you ask for, you will receive. Why? Because you know the will of my father in heaven you come so close in contact with him that it's not that like you have to but it's that you want to 
Sorry, that was like a fire hydrant. I'm really sorry, but like I'm passionate about it. And I want to see the American church like wake up and rise up. Amen. All right, I'm going to get to my message. We don't have a lot of time, but I hope you ate before you came. Um, So, because I spent a lot of time on it and you're going to hear it. (laughs) Man, I really am happy. Um, There is a fine line. And I want to do, I do want to tell you that I am coming here with fear and trembling today. Like, there's a fine line between a preacher calling you higher and a preacher beating you up. And I want to do, I don't want to do one of those. I want to call you higher this morning. It may feel to some of you like beating, like a beating, and that's okay. Like iron sharpening iron, some of that iron's going to fall off. It's going to take a scraping. But I want you to know that my heart is pure for you. And that I desire for myself the same things I desire for you. So uh, I, we're, we're, Gio and I have been feeling this thing about the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Like that the Lord has something in there for us. And I think when I was praying about it, the world has become so just insane lately. And I stand with Gio in that like 2020 will be redeemed in Jesus name. It will be redeemed. And I feel one of those ways is when things get crazy, the Lord says, come back to the simple. Come back to the truth. Come back to like, and we're really good about talking about portals and all that stuff in the church, but sometimes we need to go back to the Beatitudes and go back to the blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the meek and like just get back to the simple gospel. And I want to deposit something in you this, this, this morning that he's been working in me all week, okay? So I'm coming in fear and troubling, but I'm really excited. Um, I want to share the Lord's heart on the Sermon on the Mount. And I feel there's really two things that we can gather from this. And if we're going to understand his heart, we really need to understand like the, the context in which he was speaking. Okay, Jesus was not in 21st century America. He was in first century Israel. And he was speaking to Jewish people who believed Jewish beliefs. And it's one of the things that's crazy that I have, I, I like doing research. I I'm an amateur scholar, if you will. Uh, like, <laughs> I love watching like debates between like rabbis and preachers and like all this sort of stuff. It's how I geek out. Um, one of the things that I've learned about Judaism is they are 100% a works-based religion, 100%. And they will tell you this. And I've watched uh, interviews where they say, "We believe that it is up to how you follow the law, keep the commandments." Follow the feasts that will determine how you enter into King and how you where your place is with the Lord. So how you perform will determine like what your eternity looks like. And so understand this is the realm Jesus is walking into. This is not just a fringe group. This is the whole group. They all believe this. So Jesus comes in this this area and he, I, I believe one of the first things he wants to say is that you can't do it yourself. That you cannot do enough to make yourself right with the Lord. You see, and you see this when he was talking to them. He would say, <laughs> when you go into the square and you have the ashes on your head and you moan and whine because you're fasting, and they had such a works view and an outside cup, I'm going to use this analogy a lot today, where the outside of the cup was clean, but the inside was filthy. They thought that was, that was okay. And you understand when Jesus says, 
kind of makes sense when he says, I have not come to abolish the law, not one jot or tittle of the law, but I have come to fulfill it. And what the Lord showed me this week was imagine like a circle, okay, and it's empty on the inside. This is the law. And it's, it's, it's kind of like a vague through a mirror darkly kind of thing of like what he's saying. But Jesus says, I have come to fill that sucker up to where it's a sphere now. It is where it was one dimensional, it was empty, and like you kind of got what I was talking about. I have come to make it three dimensional because he was three dimensions in person. He was a person, he was God and man. He has come to literally live out the law. And one of the things that's interesting, he says a lot in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, you hear it all the time. He says, you've heard, don't murder. But I would say to you, if you have murder in your heart, you have already, you got hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder. What is he trying to say? And he goes on and on. What is he trying to say? He is trying to say that the law, like the do-goodness works part of like the commandments and the, all that stuff, that was not meant to just be, that's not behavioral modification. That was a roadmap to like his heart. And that was a roadmap to show you that you can't do this on your own. The problem is when people who are not connected to the Lord read scripture, and this is true for Christians, we can misinterpret it and actually what Destiny was singing in pre-service prayer, it says a sword is coming out of his mouth. And this is a sword, and it can cut and cause damage or it can cause life. The difference is what perspective and who are you reading it with? Are you reading it from your carnal mind? Are you sitting so close in intimacy with Jesus that you read his perspective? He would say to them, he says, you read these scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but the scriptures, they speak of me. They were reading it from a carnal mind. They couldn't understand. And so he's trying to show them that like there is no way you can do enough to, 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 to fulfill your obligation of, of sin. <laughs> you can't do it. Like it's, it has to be him. I've been doing this study um, about the salvation experience. And I've been going all the way back like to Genesis to why we need salvation. And I've been coming, I've been, I've been camping out in Romans, like Romans, oh my goodness, it is intense. Um, one of the things that I have found is this, is that I was wretched. I was so fallen, right, bro? Like I was, I, I oh man, I was terrible. And I was so blind. It says I was actually dead in my sin. I was a slave to sin. Like my internal desire was sinful. And then one day, and maybe you, many of you had this experience, and like I could do no good. Nothing good could come from me. Even when I would try to do good things, they would be intermingled with dross. And it was, it was I was doing it for selfish ambitions. Even if I did something nice for somebody. It was really so they would like me a little better. And it wasn't just purely heaven that I was trying to advance. It was Tyler. And so one day, many of you probably had this experience. Like if I can't do anything right, then how do I come to the Lord? It's because the Bible says he causes the light of his face to shine upon your heart. Very much like Paul on the road to Damascus. This is a, a picture of what salvation looks like. You were blind. And now you see, and even though he had scales, he could see clearly. And maybe for some of you, you were sitting in a pew and, and the preacher's preaching and all of a sudden you became intensely aware of your fallenness. The weight of sin comes upon you. 
and you feel like weightiness and you feel like, oh my goodness, I am not a good person. Even though I've lied to myself for the past however many years, I'm not a good person. And in this moment of like fear and, and anxiety and all this stuff and conviction, all of a sudden you begin to see this man standing in front of you. And he's saying things like, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I shall give you rest. Come, for I have taken upon myself the sin of the world. Come, if you are hungry, because I have bread that you do not have. Come, if you are thirsty, I will give you living waters. And all of a sudden, you begin to see this Savior standing in front of you. And your mind says it can't be true, but your heart says something's right about this. This feels right. And you give up to yourself. And this thing that I like could understand, the Bible says, he who calls upon the name of the Lord and believes shall be saved. I, that messed me up for a little bit, to be honest. Because I'm like, how can somebody just like believe and be saved? How is that possible? Like a lot of the demons, like the guy, the Gadarenes, when he fell down at the feet of Jesus, the demon says, like, Jesus, do not hurt us. He believed he can't be saved. I did some research on the word belief and the word belief, not only it does denote like belief, but it actually is a little bit stronger than that. I like to play cards sometimes. Don't shoot me. We're not that church of God, right? Like I like to play cards sometimes. I'm sorry. And I, I love the feel of like poker chips, but I love the feel. I love the, the moment in poker when somebody pushes all in. So exciting, right? Like it's, it's crazy. And what are they saying when they push all in? They're saying, I so believe in my hand in the cards that I have that I know I will bet literally everything on those two cards. It's funny when it says believe in me, it's actually better translated believe on me. And what it's saying is I so believe in Jesus that he is and was and will come to be who he says he is that I am literally willing to bet everything. I will push everything in on Jesus. Myself, my finances, my family, my future, my sickness, like everything, my worldview. I believe in him so much that I will literally push everything on who he says he is. That doesn't sound like a lot of Christians I surround myself with sometimes. Be honest. Like these guys, great. Yes, but I've come in contact with people and I don't know if I I see that in their heart and I feel that in their life. We're like, I believe. And I feel like we are so similar to first century Judaism in that this Christianity that we call it has been really just like watered down to be this works thing. And we're so concerned about like our look good. Like, did you know that like there's Christians who devote their entire life on like proving that tattoos are evil? Like, did you know that? And they use an Old Testament scripture. And then like literally right after that scripture about like cutting yourself, there's talk about like not cutting your hair, but they kind of just ignore that part. <laughs> it's funny. I thought, I thought I was going to get a laugh there, but I guess not. It's just funny when you read the Bible through your own lens, what you'll see. Um, but there's people, there's Christians who have like devoted their entire life to, to denouncing the charismatic movement, and let's be honest, it's really just because of speaking in tongues, right? But on the flip side of that, I heard a pastor say that he changed the name of his church. It was Full Gospel Assembly of whatever, and he changed the name because a pastor in the town came up and said, hey man, like, I'm gonna be honest. And he was like a, a Baptist minister. I, I even kind of like 
am open to some of this stuff, but every time I read your, your, your name on your church and it says full gospel, it makes me feel like you think every other church that doesn't say that or doesn't believe you the way you believe doesn't have the full gospel. And let's be honest, that's exactly what we mean. Why? It's because we're not thinking the way Jesus thinks. We're not thinking about unity. We're thinking about, I have the best, like my look good, the outside of my cup is clean. Can I, can I say something that might be a little offensive because we're family and there's not all you people here, so maybe nobody will get mad at me? Um, <laughs> well, okay. I'll say what I said at my last church. I'm not the senior pastor. You can call him. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Jill's like, do you ever want to be the, like, the guy, the senior pastor? I'm like, no way, man. There's so much freedom in being just like this kind of like reckless guy who can just says a bunch of things and he preaches in another three months. It's great. Um, you should really try it. The Black Lives Matter movement. <laughs> um, I've seen Christians who are like, well, that organization is, and let me be the first one to say that organization is evil. The Black Lives Matter, like that organization, whatever that actual, whatever, 501c3 it is, like they are rooted in things that we don't believe in, okay? So please don't give money to them. But I've seen people close to me, nobody in this room, who have said things like, well, because that's true in that particular organization and they're named that, then I cannot say Black Lives Matter because somebody might think that I support that organization. And so they'll say things like all lives matter and blue lives matter. And guys, all lives do matter. But the, the, this is a tangent, but I feel good about it. The, um, one of the things I love, I, I saw one time, it was like, do all houses matter? Yes, but you're watering yours when the one next to you is on fire. Okay, so like maybe just point a little bit of the love cannon at that one. And like, yes, yours still matters, but this one's on fire right now. And I've seen people, and if you are like sitting in here and you've said and verbalized these things, just know that I have too, and I'm repenting and having to like navigate this. Here's the difference. It's like, just because you were to say that doesn't mean you automatically agree with that. And the reason we get so worried about it is we care what people think about us. But the people we care who think about us are not the people who are actually hurting right now. Can I give you an example of this in scripture? That'd be kind of nice. Jesus found himself in a really similar place one day. He's teaching, teaching, teaching. And these people who hate him bring this woman to him. Now, this woman, she was doing something wrong, like empirically wrong. She was sinning against the Lord. It says she was caught in the act, like not yesterday or whatever. She was like in the act of adultery. So understand that she is probably like half, half clothed. She probably smells like the act, like she is caught in the literal act. And they drag her through the streets. And according to the law, if you looked at it the way they did, they are completely justified in what they are wanting to do. You understand this, right? Like we always look at her like the good guy. She is the bad guy in this moment. She is caught in the act of adultery. And they bring her to Jesus, and it says, because they wanted to trap him. They wanted to see, what is he going to think about what other people see? Is he going to get down this wine bibber who comes drinking with tax collectors and stuff? Is he really going to get down? Because somebody walking by who can't really hear the conversation, they could take it out of context. They could think that Jesus now associates himself with these people, which is exactly who Jesus associates himself with. 
And so they bring him there and they throw them at his feet. And they're like, what's he going to do now? And Jesus being so consistent, bends down, writes some stuff in the, 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 the sand. They walk away. And then he looks at her, he bends down. I love this. He gets on her level, doesn't care what anybody passing by would think, who can't hear what he's, I, I, I like to think that in this moment he's whispering to her so that no one can hear but them. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? She's like, I don't have any. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't care what people think. Why? Because he sees hurt. He sees a hurting person and he is true on the inside and the outside. And so he doesn't really care if he's misunderstood. How many people have lived boring Christian lives because they're being afraid of being misunderstood here? I would rather be misunderstood here, but have my father say, well done, good and faithful servant up there every day of the week. And Jesus doesn't care what it looks like. He just sees a hurting person sitting in front of him. And he says, here's a life that I can touch. The second thing I really feel like God wants to show us through the Sermon on the Mount. The first is, 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 is the outside of the cup, not having to be clean, but the inside. And, and the second one's kind of like it. I really feel the, the Sermon on the Mount, especially the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, the meek, the poor in spirit, the persecuted. I really believe this is a prophetic picture of the church. And then he is giving this like declaration, this, this prophetic picture of what his church would look like that one day that he would actually reside in them, that the temple of the Lord would be remained, would be created inside of you and that you would literally house God. You would actually be living stones of his temple. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. He's describing a people. Sorry, I'm really, <laughs> my notes. Yeah. Um, the problem is, we don't really think like that sometimes. The problem is we don't really truly live our life like that in that the inside is the same as the outside. I really feel like there's a lot of people who, who follow the Lord or go to church and the concern is the outside of the cup. The concern is the outside of the cup. Like if you were to take an orange, you're taking or, or an apple rather, let's go an apple. If you're taking an apple, I love apples on a hot summer day, a cold apple that's been in the fridge. Oh, it's amazing. Okay, you should try it. Okay, y'all probably need some more fruit and vegetables. Like, so, <laughs> I gotta give them something. Like, they're dead, man. So, I'm just telling you. I feel like I'm preaching up here. Uh, so, you take an apple. If you were to take an apple on a hot summer day, it's like, it's blazing out. I was talking to some people in the back. Like, it's been so hot lately. And you bite into it. And the outside looks exactly like an apple. It's like, it is an apple. It's red, little stem, little shine. It's like, it's an apple. And you bite into it. Your teeth pierce the skin. It, br it bruises a little bit. You take a chunk out of it. You cut it with your teeth. And orange juice filled your mouth, even though you may love orange juice. If orange juice filled your mouth, you would spit it out. Why? Because the outside didn't really match the inside. I see this a lot with the church. 
is like, we're like, oh, I'm a Christian brother, but in Facebook, you're a devil. (laughs) Come on. It's like, where's the, where'd the love go? Where'd the love go? You were handing out bags to the homeless. You were super nice. You get on Facebook, literally two hours later, you're a devil. Calling out people being so vitriolic. The problem is, it's really easy to look like a Christian when nothing's happening. It's, it's super easy when Destin Cove, some of my favorite worship leaders, get off the stage and they just slayed it, took us into the presence. And I'm like, Shaba, like it's really easy in that moment to be an apple. But as soon as you get cut a little bit, as soon as somebody takes a peek, I'll make it, I'll get you off the hot seat. I'll put me up here. My wife's going to get embarrassed. I know it. Sometimes when I go to a restaurant <laughs> and the server, this is a, a weak point for my life. Okay. You have to pray for Pastor Tyler. Uh, they're not like doing how do you call it? A good job. Um, and, you know, I get people have rough days and like, don't, you know, but we, we know this server. Okay. You've all, we've all had this person who it's like, they're just like not paying attention to your table. They forgot your food like three times. And every time you look over, they're just sitting on their phone texting. It's like, I don't know if you're having a bad day or you're just really bad at your job. Okay. So for me, somebody who's not super wealthy, I don't get to eat out a lot. And when I do, I want it to be good because like, dang, that's a, moment wasted. I want it to be good. And so sometimes I can get really nasty. <laughs> I try not to, but I can just get like, can I speak to your manager, please? I'm, I can be that guy. i am be honest. Um, and the problem is that I felt like I was, something wrong was done to me. And this is, if I can kind of bring it to where we are right now, I see this in a lot of the church is like, we are, we feel like wrongs are being done to us. We like these injustices are happening to us. And when that happens, a lot of times I don't see Jesus come out of people. You know, Christian means little Christ, Christ like. And like if you call yourself that, like I would hope talking to myself, I would hope that when I'm cut, when something happens to me that I don't like, that he would flow out of me, not me, my brokenness. That's what Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how does that happen? By being close and being reading the word and, like, and drawing near an intimacy with him. I wonder this is what he means when he says, in that day there will be many who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he says, you will not enter the kingdom. Only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And understand these people are like people you want on your ministry team. They're like slaying demons. They're like healing people. And yet still they're going to be cast out into utter darkness with gnashing of teeth. Why? It's because you can look the part and you can even prophesy his name because it has so much power that it will not return void. But that doesn't mean the inside of the cup. Do the will of my father. I will that all would be restored. His will is for you to have intimate relationship. You may know of him, but he still has to know you. Okay. And I really feel like a lot of us are getting wrapped up in this. Inju- and when I say injustice or whatever, I'm not talking about like, ra- like racism, that, that belittling that or child trafficking. Like that's really hot right now. Those things need to be dealt with, with justice and allow the Lord to like be your vindication. And those people need to be locked up. Okay. I'm not standing for racism. I'm talking more about things like 
when I go to a restaurant and someone's not nice to me, okay? I'm talking more about when you think like your boss is treating you a certain way. And you're like, I don't deserve that. Like, what do you deserve? Yeah, exactly, bro. As a Christian, what do you do? What is your level of righteousness? The Bible says righteousness and foundation or righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So that means anything he says, decrees, acts upon, does, will be rooted in righteousness and justice. Do we, do we have Matthew 5, uh, 40 up there or something? Did I give that to them? Maybe they have it, maybe not. Um, I'll, I'll take you there. Matthew 5, 40. This is God's version of righteousness and justice. He says, if anyone smacks you, sorry, let's go to verse 39. I, I, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. So understand the context. He is talking about someone who is committing evil, someone who is wrong. You are right in this instance. They are wrong. What does God want? How does he want you to respond when someone who is intrinsically wrong offends you, does something to you who are right? He says, if anyone smacks you on the face, punch, no, turn the other cheek. Man, we don't talk like that, bro. And I'm going to be honest, the Lord wrecked me in, in this scripture. I don't think like this. Can I just be honest and vulnerable? I don't. I don't process the world like this. And I'm asking and repenting, and Lord, help me see clearly what you say righteousness and justice are. He says if someone in the context here is that they are wrong and they're doing it wrongfully, if someone comes to you and they ask you and they sue you for your shirt, which means you are now bare, like I have a shirt and a cloak. They are now, you are now bare. You are, you are exposed, and that day was terrible. He says... Give them your cloak as well. Wow. I don't think like that. He says, if, if a Roman, man, we, I have a lot of people on my Facebook feed. I don't actually look at Facebook. So my wife, I just look at when my wife looks at it. Kind of like peak, do a little peak thing, you know. And I see a lot of people talking about how corrupt America is. And how corrupt this or that presidential candidate is or whatever. And I'm just being honest with you. Jesus was born into the time where one of the most corrupt governments of all time. Like Rome would literally conquer a people. You've never been conquered, okay? He would conquer a people and then they would like take some of their people, brainwash them, offer them large sums of money and then have them go back and then demand money from you. And if you didn't do it, Rome would just kill you. Like they would do this little thing called crucifixion. Like they put you literally on a cross. This was Rome, okay? And Jesus says, if a soldier comes up to you, and they would do this all the time because they would be carrying packs, and he says, hey, take my pack to the next town, and you're like minding your own business. Like, I'm just trying to buy some fruit. Preachers, I need some more apples, okay? So like, I don't really want to go to the next town. But he says, hey, go the next mile with me to the next town and carry my pack for me. Oftentimes, the Jewish person would be expected to do that, or they'd be thrown in jail or punished. Jesus says, if this happens to you, this injustice, he says, go to that soldier and say, hey, can I carry it for you two miles? Can I do that for you? Church, we don't think like that. Beloved, we, we don't operate this way. Myself first, I don't think this way. And I've, I've actually heard preachers say before that, you know, Jesus doesn't really expect you to just turn the other cheek. It's a meta. 
Let's see if it's a metaphor. There was a moment where Jesus was, he, he was in a situation very much like this. It's late at night. He's praying and he, he's, he's in inner turmoil. He knows what's coming. And in this situation, you're Peter. You get to be Peter this time. All right, so you're Peter, and you're just trying to stay awake. You're really tired. You see this man who you would go to say that, like, you are the son of God. You've said to him, like, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where we go? Like, this is your relationship with Jesus, okay? Like, you are really close to him. He is literally your everything. He is not just your everything to you. He is the everything of your people. He is Mashiach, the Messiah. He is the one who's come to, like, restore the kingdom of Israel. He means a lot but you're also kind of tired. It's like you're sleeping, okay? And so like he's asking you to pray. You're doing a terrible job at it. You're sleeping. And all of a sudden you wake up and you see coming over the hill Judas Iscariot. Like, and you're like, what is happening? And all of a sudden things start clicking in your brain like, oh my gosh, the dinner the night before, what Jesus said, I get it. All these temple soldiers, like I under, you, you quickly realize what's happening here. Judas has sold Jesus out. He's going to, they're going to get him, collect him. And now like he is going to be in prison and as, as good as you can, can summarize, he's going to die because you understand the Pharisees literally hate him with a murderous hate. And you're standing there and they come, Judas does his kiss thing, which is weird, but like, and then all of a sudden, these two soldiers grab Jesus's arms and you're like, it's happening. He's been saying it for a while, but it's happening right now. This is wrong. This is wrong. Like this is not right in this moment. These people, and it's actually true, like it was illegal for them to arrest someone at night because it was illegal. And so they're, they're, they're committing crimes on so many levels and they're arresting someone who literally would raise people from the dead, who would like touch lepers and restore them. Jesus is the most purest one of all. They're literally arresting the lamb of God. And here they are. And you're like, I have to do something. Doesn't this sound like me? Doesn't this sound like us? There's injustice. There's something wrong happening to me and my family or my friends. I'm going to vindicate myself. I'm going to like stop this. So you pull your sword out. You pull it over your head. You're like, I'm going to chop his head off. You're tired. So you miss and you hit his ear. It falls to the ground. Can you imagine in that moment the pandemonium that's happening in that little scene? They've come to Jesus at night. They take him. They arrest him. One of his followers chops somebody's ear off. They fall, the guy falls to the ground. He's in pain, screaming. And if you think about it, this is if Jesus had a moment to escape his doom, his destiny, it was right now. Jesus could have ran away. I'm sure Peter may have been even saying, like, Jesus, you need to run. But in this moment, Jesus, having an opportunity of freedom, is distracted by a man who's hurting. And the Lord showed me something this week, that this scene looks strikingly familiar to a woman who's sitting in the dirt. And Jesus doesn't really care in this moment what his disciples think. He is fully fixed on a person who is hurting. And he gets on his knees, picks up the man's ear, and restores it. You see, Peter was hurting someone in the name of the Lord. And Jesus had to come behind him and restore. I wonder how much 
Jesus having to walk behind people of the church and restore things they're cutting off in the name of Jesus. In the name of his holiness and, and fighting his battles for him, Jesus is having to come back and put ears back together. Why did Jesus do that? Because he's consistent. He meant what he said when he said, like, the outside of the cup doesn't need to be clean, but the inside. And, like, you will love people. And he doesn't see a person who's trying to kill him. He sees someone who, once again, is just far from him. And he's motivated by love. Beloved, like, I really am convicted when I was reading this for myself. Because, like, I just don't think that way. Especially in this 2020 crazy year of like righteousness and justice and our rights and this and that. We have become, I'm going back to my message a couple months ago, we've become so skewed to this white harvest that is in front of us of hurting people. And we fed right into the enemy's plan of being distracted. And meanwhile, there's people who are hurting in front of us and they just need you to arise and shine. That's all they need. They don't need your like justification. They don't need your pair, like book long Facebook posts. They need you to arise and shine. Yes. Can we stand? Man, I, 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 I hope you could track with me today and you could understand what I was getting at because I really feel the Lord Destiny, we were talking in, in pre-service prayer about, about our church and how I really feel, and I, I was listening to them, I was just taking it in and like processing it. I really see this church in the next couple months something really significant happening. I really see the Lord like elevating. Stephen was talking about how we've been faithful and we've poured out and other people we've given, we've, been, we've done like the sacrifice, the low thing, the hidden thing but it's time for us to reap like what we've been sowing. And if I can be honest, the Lord will only give his gifts to people who will steward them. And, I, and I've been saying this since the beginning of this year. This is a year of calling unto purity, unto like getting the junk out. And one of the things that I see so prevalent is the way we think, the manna in which we partake of, and like how our brain works. And honestly, we sometimes think from an American constitution one than a heavenly kingdom one. And I just feel the Lord rewiring things this morning. Re like fixing things. If we can just like, if Anthony's here or just put something on soft, I don't really care. I just want to pray and I want to have us to give us some time to, to pray with the Lord and like give you a moment to talk to him and to have him just kind of rewire, maybe call to repentance, a turning away of some things. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we just, yeah, we submit right now, Lord. And God, if, if something that is truth offends us, God, we understand that we have to bow. And we have to, like, become prostrate. And truth must stand. So, Jesus, right now, I pray for every person, myself first, God, that I would come in alignment with the kingdom of heaven. And though the world is saying justice and vindication and revenge, and you need to be afraid of this, afraid of that, I say, no, I come into alignment with truth. And like, I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. Lord, like you have given us 
a spirit of peace and a sound mind, not of fear, God. And I just pray right now, Lord, that, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And God, the inside of the cup would be clean. And that, that you would remove every system, every, every leaven in our heart and minds that doesn't belong. Like rip it out. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. God, pull it out now. Because God, you're wanting to take us somewhere, but you're wanting us to be purified. God, put the coal to our lips right now, Holy Spirit. Put the coal to my lips, Jesus. Like purify everything, God. My life is laid at your feet once again, Holy Spirit. Purify, take the coal, put it to my lips, God. Purify. Father, you're saying, who will go? I will go for you, Jesus. Purify me in your presence, God. If it's just me and one other, God, purify. But God, call the people. Call the people, a remnant, Father, who are called by your name. Purify us, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Move. Begin to move right now. In Jesus' name, I want you to just ask him right now in intimate fellowship in like conversation say father reveal leaven in my heart reveal reveal sin in my heart we have to be purified we have to look like him i don't want when i get cut for you to not spill out i want my life to look like you on the cross when the spear point pierces your side pure living water flows out jesus let that be my life father yeah, just call upon his name right now. Ask him to purify you. I want to be tried by fire and purified. Take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. Come on. I want to be tried by yeah, just pray right now. Ask him to reveal right now. Purify your lips.
so feel this strongly. Anytime the Lord was going to reveal himself, come close, demonstrate himself to Israel, he would give this declaration. He would say, Israel, consecrate yourselves, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will. I feel this for this moment, that if you are hungry for him, hear this decree. The Lord is going to show himself to abide. Purify yourself this day. Like, consecrate yourself this day. We are going somewhere, and I want every single person in this room to go with us. Every person watching on the live stream to go with us. But he's saying, purify, consecrate, like, push out the dross, like, purify yourself now in Jesus' name. one more thing and, and I just felt this in my heart I felt like there's people in this room that feel stuck like your heart wants to like you hear the message you're like yeah that makes sense you just feel stuck even spiritually stuck and I want to pray for you I want to I want to pray against that and I want and I, what I'm believing is that you would push through that but listen a lot of times a lot of times open my eyes a lot of times, whenever we feel this stuck, we can receive breakthrough in the spirit, but we need to mentally push through. It's both. A lot of times we receive spiritual breakthrough, but we refuse to walk into breakthrough. And God's not going to shove you in there. You understand? I want to say this because I believe we're going to pray and some things are going to break, but you're going to have to step into something. You, you're, there's going to have to be, what I'm saying is active steps towards what you want. So if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want to pray. I believe there's a grace in this moment for that feeling of stuck. So if that's you, just say, Father, do it in me. Father, right now, in, in Jesus' name, I pray over every single person in this room that I thank you that your word is true and that your word says that you take your people from glory to glory and strength to strength. So Father, right now I'm asking you for all those that are hungry and they feel in their hearts stuck, like I don't know what to do or how to make this work, I ask that you would give them wisdom, knowledge, and revelation on what that step would be. I ask that you would give them faith and courage to take that step. And Father, I'm asking for breakthrough, for spiritual breakthrough, for financial breakthrough, for breakthrough in health, for breakthrough in, in, in emotional status. But Father, I thank you that your word says that no weapon formed against your people will prosper. So I declare that over them right now in Jesus' name. Whatever weapon has been formed and is trying to, to work against God's purposes in your life, we rebuke them right now in Jesus' name. We rebuke them right now in Jesus' name. And we speak over you, arise and shine, for your light has come. 
Father, I speak hope over every heart right now. Hope. People who have felt without hope and despondent, we speak hope over them and refreshment. Lord, I ask this one last thing. God, that we will be better on the inside than we are on the outside. God, in this next season, you're requiring less and less gifts and more and more character and integrity and purity. So, Father, help us. Because make no mistake, without the Holy Spirit, this is impossible. So, Holy Spirit, we lean on you and we say, lead us into all truth and help us to walk in integrity and in character and purity and in love. Help the fruit of this gospel to be, to be living off of us. Meekness, humility, poor in spirit, peacemakers. And God, we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise for what you did today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a hand? Wow. Thank you, Pastor Tyler. Thank you, guys for joining us. We hope you had an amazing day. Listen, we're going to be hammering down Matthew 5 for a minute, so we're not going anywhere. I feel like we got to hammer that down, so we're going to take it really slow, because I believe it's significant for what God is saying in this season. Amen? I love you guys. Groups start this week. So this week, like tonight, Paul and Anna have groups. Paul and Anna's on Sunday nights, so go back to the link, look up groups, connect yourself, and insert yourself in community. Amen? We'll see you guys next week. We love you guys.